Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Danny Lopriori. This is episode 20. Uh, I'm joined by a fellow entrepreneur, but also, more importantly, uh, one of my best friends of all time. Uh, we grew up together, Jasper Nathaniel. Jasper, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Very weird to be on your show, given that you know we're friends and you have a show now, but it's good to be here. I know, I know. Uh, would you think um, 18 years ago that we'd be doing this right now? I mean, I, I think it, I believe that more than some other things. Like if you, if they were like, Danny is a famous podcast host, and then you explained to me what a podcast was, I'd be like, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Can I don't know about my part, but. You, you, the craziest thing to think about is that we've been, this is how old we're getting. We've been friends for like 20 years. Yeah, yeah, and 20 years ago, I was uh, like, a, like almost a, like I was an adolescent 20 years. It's not like I was a baby 20 years ago. I was, I was. Oh yeah. We were functional. Yeah. Our brains were functioning. Not well. Well, yours was always. Um, so uh, let me give you guys a little rundown about Jasper. Um, Jasper was one of the uh, many good friends that I had uh, growing up in a small town called Hastings on Hudson and uh, Jasper was actually the one that actually got me to attend class on a regular basis. And, um, you, he was very he was very proactive in making sure that uh, I was eligible to play on sports teams and uh, I was able to graduate on time. So a lot of that goes to you. He actually looked out for me a lot. Talked to a lot of teachers for me. I do remember that. Yep. Um, so let's start with you from the beginning. Or, or you, right? you made me sound like the biggest fucking nerd ever I mean, well, more I'm, I'm getting to all that stuff but i want to start with your brain first all right it's a mental yeah. health show you follow my lead okay all right? all right jasper was always a very intelligent man a very intelligent boy and i, I th if i was there i would say a very intelligent baby at what at what age did you really start to first of all i always ask this question did you like school Oh man, like school, school, or just the whole thing, like being there with your just, just, just scholastically. Was no, school something no, that you enjoyed doing? No. So now I, I didn't first, enjoy I was school. First, in that I was good at it. That's what I I'm saying. Didn't enjoy it. See, I wasn't good at it, and I didn't like it. Yeah, now, double whammy. Yeah, I was double whammy for sure. Yeah. For you. Like I know at a early, very early age, you wanted to go to the University of Michigan, which you did. Um, at what age did you really start to like, you know what, preparing for college? Because I feel like where we went to school, everyone was worried about college in like eighth grade. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, I don't know. I, I wasn't really thinking about it too much, to be honest. I mean, I, you know, I was pretty privileged in a lot of ways. And I knew I, I knew I was going to go to college just to be blunt about it. Right. Um, and I don't think I realized how privileged I was at the time to just have that be like a foregone conclusion. So I didn't actually think about it that much. Um, but I knew like, I'm good at school. And when the time comes, I'll take that, you know, I'll take the SATs. Which you I'll smoked. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's going to be a couple of those moments where I'm going to come after you. This kid yeah, was no. a genius. Um, uh, well, yes. um, yeah, so, so um, I, I guess like I always knew I was going to, but then I just applied senior year 
to one school and I got in and then I just called it quits. Yeah. So was Michigan, obviously it was like your dream school, but was it always your dream school or was there like another school that you wanted to go to, to go to college? It was kind of a laziness thing, to be honest with you. Like I have family in Michigan, as I know. And so Mm -hmm. I used to go visit them every year for Thanksgiving. So I had this sort of bond with the state. And when I was a little kid, I went to Ann Arbor and I got to run on the on the field in the big house. Big house. So yeah, and then like you know, gradually I learned. Oh, it's uh, a good academic school and it's a party school. And then my brother's friend, remember Marshall, obviously. Yes, 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 yes. Marshall went there, so I visited Marshall and got just hammered and had so much fun. So then I was just like, I'll go to Michigan. It was so convenient. Right. And you know, looking back, I think I I think there's a lot of other schools I would have enjoyed a lot more, to be honest with you. Right. Um, but it's a good school. Now, now, you know, uh, obviously I didn't go to college, but, um, I went to Harvard on the Hudson WCC shout out, shout out the Vikings. Um, WCC Vikings, WCC Vikings. Uh, did you feel when we were younger, especially going into high school, that college was like you said, like almost like a privilege, uh, to go to college. Did you feel as if, when you went away to school, like you were kind of a part of the machine that was like, kind of like, Oh, we're blue ribbon high school. We're producing like good students and shit like that. Did you feel at that point you were more of going with the flow, like with the crowd or at that point, did you feel like you were kind of becoming yourself? Honestly, um, I've actually thought a lot about this in the last few years, how in our town Hastings, it's a great town. It's great. You know, great schools. Um, and it weirdly has more diversity than I think a lot of sort of suburban towns because it borders Yonkers. And, yes. Um, but I don't think that we were educated, or at least I was not educated on like the context of the d- diversity, right? Mm-hmm. So you were one of, you know, you were in the minority as a, a brown kid in the school. Yep. And, um, I don't think anybody ever like explained to me, uh, you know, why it was mo- like all the white kids went to college and some of the brown kids did, but right. a lot of them didn't like you. And, um, and, you know, you were pretty much the only one in our group of friends who didn't, and you were also yeah. the only one who wasn't white. And um, I don't know if you're just realizing this now, Danny, I'm, I hope I'm not. Uh... This, this, this is a moment for me. Yeah, you were the only non-white one of of Chopset. Um, I was, I was. So anyway, back to your question, like, it wasn't contextualized for me. So it was like, I actually went to Michigan and I met a lot of kids who came from similar, like upper middle class backgrounds who hadn't even like had any friends that were not in upper middle class. And so I started to realize at that point oh, like there's kind of some people who are completely insulated and I, you know, am like very privileged, but not completely insulated. And so I I would say when I got to college, I started to realize um, there's this machine, you know, there's that I, in my like older years, you know, in my thirties, I've definitely like radicalized more. For sure. um, against the system and whatnot. But I'd say I really didn't start realizing that stuff until college, to be honest. So uh, what, what did you get your degree in at, at Michigan? Psychology. Psychology. Now, the, um, 
for you studying psychology at that time in college, obviously that's going to help open your mind somewhat because yeah. you're actually learning uh, the, pretty much the science of the brain, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And for you, as someone whose brother and sister are doctors, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So if you look at it down the line, it's very, you know, upper middle class, nice high school, very good colleges, take their degree. They knew what they wanted to do. They busted their ass through med school and now they're doctors. And then you have Jasper. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a firm believer um, that you could have been an amazing doctor. You could have been an amazing stereotypical uh, degree, college, anything. I know, I've known you since we were little. You've always been very good at anything you set your mind to. What decision or what part of your life actually there caused- There one more word you, were, you wanted to throw in there when you were saying all that? Oh, oh very handsome. Oh, okay. I was saying it. I thought you were going to be like, you could have been a Jewish doctor. Oh, no, 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 no. Different show, different show, different show. Right. No, but um, yes, you could have been a Jewish doctor and, you know, you would have, you know, talk about insulin. All right, are we going to have to edit this out? No, 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 I'm leaving it. Run it back. Um, Yeah, no, 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 no. At what point did you know that, listen, I'm not going to go the stereotypical college to the real world route? Well, I mean, I smoked a lot of weed. I definitely smoked more weed than my brother and sister. Yeah. And um, honestly, I mean, you know, it was 2010 when I graduated college. So um, a lot of time has passed. But looking back on it, I, I genuinely don't remember thinking about what I wanted to do after college until like my senior year. And then every like I had you know people go to business school and if you're in the business school at Michigan you're like applying to jobs when you're a junior in college basically or you're in engineering school and you're doing the same thing or you're like studying pre-law or something and then there's the rest of us who um just studied you know something like psychology or something in the liberal arts and I can remember because I studied abroad my junior year, second semester. And then I remember getting back and going back to school senior year and everybody was talking about what you're going to do next year. And I genuinely was like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> wow, yeah. There's, um, and I guess as I'm saying this, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty, that's a very privileged position to be in also. Um, but yeah, so then I graduated and then I really, I didn't have a job. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be a doctor. Oh, well. <laughs> so, like you said, like senior year, you're starting to maybe even think about what you want to do. Is it safe to say that realistically you had no clue at all whatsoever what you wanted to do, like at all with the rest of your life? I think that I had maybe a fantasy that I would be a a very sexy doctor in a hospital. That's hot. Uh, But in terms of actual really knowing, no, I, yeah, I I do not think I had a clue. I really don't. I really don't. So I feel like you broke away, like as much as we talk about like the, like the upper middle class, like Hastings type areas, like that machine, you kind of broke off. You were kind of a piece that kind of broke off from there. Um, you know, and listen, me and this kid, we grew up together. We see each other do some crazy shit. You know what I mean? So like for us to see each other now is, is, is wild to me. Like I've always had a sense of like, you know, you have friends for a while then you don't have friends for a while. But like these guys have been my friends for 20 years 
And that's what I do attribute to Hastings being a small town. Like I've made friends for life there. Yeah. But you know, there was always those times where you would come home from school, whether it be Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. And I remember, you know, you guys were a year older than me. All of my friends in high school were a year older than me. Yep. And I remember when you guys left. Still am. Still am a year older. Still am, technically, yes. So, like, for me, I felt very, like, alone, like, oh, my, la- like I, my last year. Um, and I think my senior year of high school is kind of where I started to realize, like, something was going on with me um, ment- uh, mental health-wise. Um, well, I remember, I, I mean, I'm sure you remember the night at Reynolds when, which one, man, a couple blackout nights over there. Night at Reynolds. No. Um, I remember one, I don't know if it was a Thanksgiving or what, but I was home from college. We were all, we were all home from college. You must've already graduated high school. And I, I don't know what you were doing, but you were, you weren't feeling good about whatever you were doing. Yes. There was, there had been this sort of elephant in the room, which was like, you know, you go off to college, everyone comes back and you like trade stories and talk about what you're doing. And you were just like, yep, still just sitting in Hastings, which is a beautiful town, but like, there's nothing to do. So you had, you didn't have any stories. (laughs) No, I had nothing. And you didn't have, you weren't making any progress at that point. I think that's fair to say, right? 100%. Yeah. And so, and it was, it was, it was kind of uncomfortable. I mean, as close as we were, I didn't know if I should, you know, like dial it back around you because I didn't want to make you feel bad or something. Right. And there was one night when you, we like finally had a reckoning over it. Yeah. I, I do. I, like, you don't I do. like, I'm happy for all of you, but it's so hard for me to sit here when you've all come back and you're all clearly, you know, moving forward. And I just am standing still. And like you, you said, that, right? yes, I do. And then I also remember uh, another night where I think it was you, Caleb, um and Eric I believe we were all in um Caleb's car and we were talking about it Wait, you remember that you remember that night right oh okay yeah <laughs> but um no we were all in Caleb's car and uh I remember I was talking about it again and um like I need I need people to know that are that are listening watching to the show nobody was a bigger fan of me than Jasper was so that's true Jasper was always like, yo, like do a stand up set right now. Like you guys got to listen to Danny. He's hilarious. Or like we would go to parties like in other towns and he'd be like, my my friend could freestyle better than all of your friends. Like Danny, get this guy. Let me, let me give even a little more context uh, on you actually. Um, So what was especially sort of difficult about it was that in high school, you were like the life of the party. Mm-hmm. And so we would hang out at his cousin Daniel's dad's office in the basement called the off. We called it the office, yeah. very original name. And um, we would like play beer pong and you know do normal stupid high school shit. But we would always freestyle. So we would put on beats. Um, got you, got you twist. Uh, got it yeah. twist. Mob deep. Yep. Was, Mob deep. That was the go-to beat. Go-to beat. Um, and then we would all freestyle. I was trash. Ben was mostly trash. <laughs> Eric Eric became pretty good. Yep. But you were just like insane. And I just remember you would go for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Somebody would walk into the room. You would have a rhyme. And so I remember thinking, Danny's going to be famous. Like Danny's going places. So then 
when, you know, we all went off to college and you just weren't doing shit, I remember thinking maybe Danny actually isn't going to do anything. Maybe he's on his ass the rest of his life. So it was pretty awkward. And I, re- I, re- I remember conversations like that where it's like it almost felt like I didn't want to see you guys because I had nothing to bring to the conversation. So like this is where like for me, like I could feel my mental health deteriorating because the first time in, for, in my entire life, I doubted myself. I didn't like who I was. I was protected by the institutions of like, well, you go to fifth grade through eighth grade then you go to high school and and you, and you were you know beloved by the hastings school system like you yeah, were and they helped me out you're you and your whole family everybody yeah. so so when that's gone you know if you don't have your ducks in a row at least because i remember even you saying it's like listen dude like you got to go to these classes because like high school is gonna be over dude like <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah we're having a great and time I was, I was right i was right about that I think you've been right about everything. Us still being a year apart, yeah. high school ends at I least. Some, I made some good calls. Do you ever have dreams where you're still in high school though? I mean, of course I do all the time. I have a dream, a recurring dream of being in the huddle and Dan Bohm is making a play call and I don't remember what I'm supposed to do and I get up to the line of scrimmage and I still don't know what I'm supposed to do and it's terrifying. All of my dreams are like football high school dreams, like the recurring yeah. ones. Yeah. So, and a part of me, Every time I wake up from those dreams, I honestly think about it's like, you know, if I didn't have the friends that I had, there's no way I'm doing what I'm doing now. Like a lot of the times, like I try to say, like, you know, I did this on my own and I went this way and that way. Like if I didn't have the support from you, Ben, Eric, Max, Krej, everybody, really. I don't think I would have had or gotten the attribute to believe in myself. You guys really help me believe in myself and being like, Hey dude, listen, you don't want to go to college. That's cool, but you got to do something. And it just so happens that you're talented at things. So why don't we try that? Nobody was more rooting for me more, especially you in those times. I I, I can't thank you enough for that, but it took me a while. It took me a while. And it took a lot of embarrassing, like seeing your parents, seeing other friends' parents. And they're asking me what I'm doing. Another thing, because what, you know, when you start growing up and you go and go to your friend's house. So like, you know, you come to my house all the time, see my yep. mom and dad. It's just like, that's what parents do. They're like, so what are you up to now? And you've never had a good answer. <laughs> no, my answer is always like, yeah, you know, doing like four, seven, eight Pete for a little while. Yeah. Uh, four, seven, eight Pete was a moving company that we all worked for uh, as kids, for as kids. And then I started to do it as an adult and I was like, something's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. So again, let's, Uh, pull this back you guys go to college this is when I'm really starting to kind of sense that something's a little off with me Um, (laughs) to to, to put it nicely Um, during high school and during college did you have any bouts of you know some mental health issues stuff that you really feel like you couldn't express to us when we were kids oh yeah absolutely yeah when you when you like give me a timeline Okay. Um, well, I have, uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to just get, put it to you in my therapist words. Nice. So, um, this is like the, a framework that has been developed through years of therapy. There's, there's, uh, Jasper and mm-hmm. then the statue of Jasper, right. And the statue of Jasper is what, um, I think everybody looks at me as and what they expect of me 
and um, and it goes back to a very young age. I think it probably starts with you know being smart and being expected to get good grades. And like to be clear, my parents weren't hard asses at all. Like they were no. extremely supportive, but I still just felt like this pressure to do really well in school, pressure to do really well on the football team, pressure to you know date the the cutest girls and to um, be the life of the party and. And that continued through college. And um, and then I had this relationship after college, remember Liz? And mm -hmm. we dated for almost five years. Yeah, I always and, forget that you guys were together for that long. That, 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 that was a long time. And what's crazy is that after we broke up, that's when I like really started doing therapy. I realized like she really barely knew me. Cause I, I didn't share much. I, right. I always had to keep it at, I'm good. Everything's good. I'm feeling confident. I know what I'm doing. I know what I want to do. Nobody can touch me. And you know, I'm human. So I, I had all sorts of doubts about myself and I still do in different ways. And for a very long time, I, I really could not share any of that stuff. I mean, I was roommates with one of our best friends, Ben for years too. And I wasn't even sharing anything with him for a long time. Right. And so. Was that a weakness thing? Like you didn't want to come off weak or right. you didn't want to open yourself up in terms of like, this could harm me if I put this out into to the world right now. I think it was mostly the weakness thing. Right. Well, I, both actually, because yeah. I think I, I just came to believe that, you know, people only like me because I'm the best. Right. I mean, I thought I had to be the best at everything. Just right. to you know, put a label on it, like yeah, no, that's at everything. Um, takes and, on, takes on the spot one, takes on the spot one. And so, like, I remember having, like, I got. Um, so I didn't know what I wanted to do after college. I ended up like sort of falling into working in startups, which led me to actually starting companies. But the first startup I worked for, I got laid off after like six months. And I remember, like, because the company got acquired and basically a fire sale, I got laid off. And I remember I didn't even know how to communicate about it because I couldn't tell people I was laid off because to me that was a sign of weakness when the reality is the whole company was laid off. Yeah, everybody like, went home that day. Yeah, we all went home that day. <laughs> yeah. But I, I couldn't even go home and tell Ben I just got laid off. I remember, I think I had to spin up like, well, the company was acquired and they, I don't even know what I said. Right. But, um, and the same, like I couldn't even really tell Liz what happened because I thought if they start to see weaknesses, you know, chink in the, in the armor, yeah. Um, they're not going to want to be my friend or my lover or whatever. So that's something that I've, I think I was always dealing with. I don't think I identified it until, you know, my mid twenties, basically. I think, you know, I, I had to go through something similar in therapy. I do call myself a recovering, uh, egomaniac. Um, but to hear you're recovering. That's yeah, 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 yeah. It comes and goes, but, um, I really had to, go through kind of a similar thing with you just in a completely different um like a parallel universe parallel universe so it's like listen like you know like people know me like i'm this funny you know this funny guy girls yeah, like it's already making sense i already know exactly what you're talking about but go on yeah, go on. yeah. <laughs> but you know like this guy he's funny he's cute he's he's fun to hang out with or whatever yeah. And then my whole thing was I used to dread going to people's houses and telling them like, yeah, I'm a fucking loser. Yeah. Because that's what I'm starting to think of myself. 
Yeah. You know, like if you lived at home in Hastings for more than, you know, the scholastic college, you were a fucking loser. That's how people, that's how I thought people viewed me. So I would have to always be like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna go get my phys ed degree. Oh yeah, I'm doing this now. Yeah, you did say that. Was that ever actually happening? Yeah, I I went to WCC and I studied um, uh, phys ed and I was uh, gonna look into doing uh, physical therapy too. Okay. So so I did it for two years. I went Mm -hmm. to an anatomy class where I felt so fucking dumb, dude. (laughs) So I'm like, there's no way I could do this. So after that, I'm like, you know, I don't think I could do this. It gets to around 2010. I'm like, there's no way I could do school. I'm just going to get my real estate license. Hmm. Something where I could give to people where they're like, there he goes. Yeah. 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 All right. Turn in a new leaf. Mm-hmm. And something, something to say when people are asking you, what do you do? I never wanted a job. I just wanted a job so I could tell people that I had a job. And I remember around 2011, 2012, that's when the Vine app started. And we and me and my brother, our lives have never been the same since. But I remember sitting in your apartment with you and you're like, I've never said this, but I'm going to say it now. The only reason I created a Vine account was because you told me to. Really? Yes, because we were watching Mike's Vine where he's like walking in the snow and shit. Where he was like doing like a day four, I'm lost in the snow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Vine was very new, and you were like, "Danny, you should just make one." Yeah. And I was like, ah, "I don't know." And you're like, "Yo, let's do it! Like, let's make a Vine." And we made like a couple that night. Yeah, yep. We made a couple that night, and then that's when I stayed there. It was in that apartment um, by Central Park. Yep. You and Ben were living there. 100th Street in Central yes, Park. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So you've had a lot more impact on me than I want to give you credit for. But I'm just going to say, you know, I got to call it how I see it. So I'm actually curious to hear, though, from what I just told you, because I don't think I've ever given you that like statue of Jasper analogy before. Right. It's probably the first time you've heard that. That's the first time I've heard that. But like I said, like, do you think that you were spotting that from a a younger age? Because I I am very curious because, you know, what I ended up realizing is people actually love me. Right. Of like course. You need a statue. Sure. But like they do care about me. But I'm curious if you could kind of see that that's where I was. Yeah, I could. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And like I always say, like, listen, it takes it takes one to spot one. That's why I said it before. It's like, yeah. listen, I know if there's like another ego or alpha esque energy in the room. And it wasn't like your alpha shit was, yo, bro. I'm, I'll kill everybody in this room and shit like that. It wasn't alpha stuff like that. It was just like, no, I want to be the best at everything and there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I would just be like, yo, like it's cool. Like sometimes like let your hair down and like, you know, I was the only one of our friends that would give you like a problem. Yes, you were. I was the only one <laughs> because I could see through it. You kind of respected me for it. Because we would have conversations that nobody would even know about for hours and hours and hours, just being alone together, hanging out, texting, whatever. And I think we got to know each other very well. And I think that's why we clicked so hard when we did at that that moment in our lives. We were pretty inseparable because we just enjoyed each other's company because one, we kind of, you know, uh, we bigged each other up a lot. But we were very honest with each other at the same you know what's time. What's always funny now that I think about it, because I, you know, I didn't really get picked on too much. No, but you're right. You you did. You were the one person who 
could really get under my skin in like a, a meaningful way though. Like, and it's, it wasn't cruel. No, but you knew being an asshole. To, you knew how to make me feel like shit sometimes. Again, not in like, you know, some really deeply cruel way, but I remember uh, we'd be at a party and, you know, I'd be like thinking I was a man or whatever, and you would just cut me down. <laughs> And nobody else could do it, but you would just cut me down. I remember being like, God, fucking Danny, man. Danny, he's got my number right. You want to know what it is? When I see myself in somebody else. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's almost like I'm talking to myself though. Yeah. So now I'm seeing you being me and I'm like, no, wait a second. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Let's have some fun here because like you said, when you're young and from a young age, people expect different things of you. As sooner or later, you're going to believe it, whether it be true or whether it not be true. Mm -hmm. So for me, the levity in it was like, all right, I'm the only one that could like fuck with Jasper yeah. to a point, to a point where he knows I'm kidding, but he's going to be like, oh, this fucking guy never shuts. The no, but you could do it to a point that it legitimately did cut me down a notch, which yeah. I, I'm sure I needed. And me too. And, yeah. and, and you of all of our friends were the only one that could do that to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like no disrespect to the other guys, but I didn't care about their opinion as much as I cared about yours. Just, just being Frank. So now um, I remember when you came back from college, I think your junior year is when I really started to kind of not, not see an uptick in that, but I saw that you were a little more confident with, being yourself around your friends okay. um so like it was to the point where like the high school stuff fades away right all that stuff comes and goes shit's gone yeah now it's like you, you're starting to get more interested in things that are quote unquote outside of the norm and this is yeah. where we got very close to now we're talking about art we're talking about film we're talking about things that we didn't talk about when we were in high school mm -hmm. um I've, I've always seen in you that there was a creative person in there who liked to create and you loved creation. You loved seeing what people could do, um, whether it be comedy through us or you were an avid reader. You always read books all the time. Um, you, you know, you had an imagination. Do you wish that you, obviously, I know the answer, but do you wish that you kind of tapped into that a little bit younger realizing that you know listen at some point and we're going to get into uh your company in a second do you feel like you had to discover that side of you at that age or you wish that you did it a little bit younger look i have all kinds of things i wish i did differently yeah one of the biggest ones is i think that if i discovered my like my passion for creative writing when i was younger i think that I could be a much better writer than I am today. And I think I could do it professionally. Um, and like, you know, I have that thing that I think most people have, you probably have it too, where you read something and you're like, man, that was fucking good. And you look up the author and you see they're your age or younger. Yes. And you're like, yes. I don't, if I had just gone that route, I'm sure you feel the same way with all the time know, entertainers. Um, so yeah, I, I feel that hundred percent, but I also have worked really hard to, stop thinking that way because it's just like uh, i think everybody has it to some yeah. degree everybody I, has things they wish they could have done differently and i also think everybody has a creative side to them where a part yeah. of them is either not necessarily afraid to pursue it 
but at the same time, they kind of are because it's like, you know, there's this system where we go to college and we go yeah. get regular jobs and this is yeah. what you do. You become a functioning member of society. Yeah. You, get, you get married at 28 and mm-hmm. you do this and whatever. Well, I, I definitely, when I didn't know what else to do with my career, I was like, I'll go into business. Right. Uh, because like, <laughs> what else was I going to do? So, and I, and I think that I definitely was sort of intoxicated by that idea of becoming really successful in business. Um, and I think that that is kind of at odds with being a creative or I, I thought it was actually, I should say, I don't think yeah. it is, but I thought it was. And so I think that I was repressing that side of me for sure. Yeah. Um, so you have this awakening to a point where it's, I want to start my own business. Where, where were you? Where was your mental state at? And um, tell them a little bit about the company that you did. Okay, well, um, I mean, just to cover a number of years in a quick period of time, like I basically fell into working at startups because I didn't, I, I graduated right after the recession. There wasn't much going on. I ended up just like working at a, a startup and then I was laid off. I got, I was hired by another one and I ended up, it was kind of like an amazing situation because I was the fifth or sixth person hired at this company and um I got to sort of grow with it and help sort of build the company. Um, and so it got to 150 people maybe. And I'd been there for five years and we were doing pretty well, but I was getting really antsy because I think I started to feel, um, I hate to just use such a basic metaphor, but like, like a cog in a machine. Yeah, right? because it's really fun when it's small and you feel like everything you're doing is you know shaping the the company but then it was like i i kind of had an existential crisis like in at, uh, 26 or 27 or something and so what was go what was going on what was going on in your head at that point well honestly i was making really good money but i was feeling like this means nothing to me right this is just meaningless the and work the work you that you're doing work yeah and you know you know like my brother's an emergency room doctor and my sister's a, a pediatrician in a yeah. hospital. And, um, and I've always admired people who have something they're really passionate about that they pursue. And I just genuinely didn't know what my passion was. And I think that I decided I'm going to start a company. And, you know, the, like that was an important realization for me, but it led me down another sort of dark path, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so anyway, basically what happened is I decided I want to start a company. And I had a a guy that I'd worked with named Matt. um, And he was an amazing networker and he started networking with investors. And basically this is around the time that um, Warby Parker and Casper mattresses and Allbirds and all these like trendy direct to consumer companies popping up. And so we basically networked our way into this big sort of venture capital firm that was like, we're going to we're going to build the Warby Parker for the nutrition space. And it made a lot of sense to me. I was like, yeah, that actually makes sense. And, and the thinking was the modern fitness consumer has changed so much. They now, you know, go to SoulCycle and Barry Boot, Barry's Bootcamp and Equinox, but there's still GNC, which is built for the meathead and blah, blah, blah. And it made perfect sense to me. Right. Um, you know, I, I can't say I was like passionate about it. I mean, I, I love to exercise, but I'm not passionate about like, sports nutrition. 
But I, so this was actually the specific place. I think I, I, my like ambition was sort of perverted in a way it was, I decided like, I want to be a successful founder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was handed this opportunity. I was basically hired to be a co-founder of this company, which was called Revere. Um, and it was a direct to consumer sports nutrition company. Um, I'm getting way ahead of your question, but I remember the feeling was I'm finally doing something important. Yeah. Important, not like, you know, saving people's lives, like my siblings, but you know, I can make my mark. Right. And people will know me for something, which is a, yeah. So, um, Revere, um, doesn't work out. Um, how long that, I don't mean that that way. Skipping over. No, I got to chop you down every once in a while. Listen, yeah. uh, Revere doesn't work out. Right. Um, tell me about the highs and lows of being a founder of a company, an entrepreneur, like for, in terms of your uh, time at Revere, the highs are obviously, you know, you get into this network of these direct to consumer, you know, yeah. uh, whatever clients and whatever. Um, at what point do you know uh, we might not make it? Well, you know, I, I don't think I've thought of this before, but when you said highs and lows, it occurs to me, the whole thing was like a, a night of doing cocaine when yeah. you do it and you feel so high from it. And then five minutes later, you feel it coming down yeah. and you keep having to do more to get that high again, but you kind of can see the end coming. Yeah. Like keep trying you're going to gonna have to go to bed at some point. Tonight. Yeah. But you're like, I just want to, you know, push it out as far as I can. Yes. I'll do one more bump. Yeah. So it was kind of like that, honestly. Um, and, and actually the, the cocaine in that case is, was raising more money. We, we, I kept trying to raise more money to keep this thing going. And, you know, in fairness, like we built a solid business for a period of time and mm-hmm. it looked like we might have some success. And then, um, and then things just got difficult on a number of levels. Like it was just a hard, difficult business to operate, right. financial issues, the space was getting very competitive. And it was like, should we raise more money? Should we, should we try to get this? Uh, no, actually. And then, um, one of the most important conversations I've ever had, um, was one of my investors, Ben, uh, not, not our friend, Ben, different Ben, um, who was, who is sort of a high profile guy. And I, he's a, he's an amazing guy, but I definitely felt pressure just like, this guy's invested in so many successful companies, made so right. much money through it, and I'm and I'm gonna let him down. I'm gonna be a failure. Yep. And he asked me to get a beer with him, and I did. And he basically said to me, he like put his hand on my back, and he was like, "You've done enough, dude. Like it's okay. Like it's gonna be okay." Right. And he, he gave me permission to fail, um, which you know this is literally the guy who he literally had. Uh, he didn't literally, he had skin in the game, right? Like he had right. money down and he was going to lose a significant amount of money. And he was just like, it's okay. Like your life is not over. Um, and I, I don't know what I would have done at that conversation. I, I would have written, like rode the thing into the ground basically. Um, but I, so what happened is I, I shut the company down. I had to lay off the whole team. Um, take me and, in the, take me in the room on that. Okay. Uh, what's, what's, what, what are you feeling at that point where you have to lay people off? 
and and really come to terms of being like, listen, we got we got to close down. The uh, doors are closing. Thank you so much for everything. I don't think I could do that. It's not nearly as fun as it sounds. <laughs> no, uh, it is not. There's no way I can do it. So and like just to make it to to tell you just how bad it really was. The I had completely hidden from the whole company the that I wasn't that I was not able to raise money. So oh. we were actually it was the best we had ever done as a company. We were like doing really well. We had just rebranded. We had launched a bunch of new products. We just got verified on Instagram. Uh, and so like people were, yeah. So like we were riding high and I was just completely, you know, this goes back to the statue of Jasper, obviously, but like I was coming into the office, putting on a face. Um, so it was a, a complete shock to the whole team. Um, I mean, it was devastating, dude. Like it was devastating. I, I somehow got it all out without like breaking down and um no chance i wouldn't cry doing that no i mean like there were a lot of tears and i would cry like a i would cry like a baby it'd be impossible i can't imagine the pressure of having to say that to a bunch of people and there was also anger from people Um, oh sure and and i just felt i mean i felt my world just crap like closing in on me like truly it did feel like this is it like it's over um, it was dark. It was really dark. So Revere closes down. Yeah. End of 2018. End of 2018. So you guys were open from what to what? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. We, we started in mid 2016 and shut down at the end of 2018. I mean, uh, as somebody who has worked in startups, not a bad run. It was a good run, but that's not a bad run for a startup. Net in, in like the world of venture back startups. The only success is getting acquired or going public for hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And that's a pretty high bar to me. It's tough. It's tough. So Revere closes down. Mm -hmm. You do your thing. I don't know how you do it. You got to let a bunch of these people off. Yeah. What are your thoughts for the next couple of days? And I'm talking just about Jasper, not about the company. What where's your head going? Just I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And I mean, I was in shell shock because I, I like, I actually had not accepted that it was going to happen. I was in denial Um, and I was fighting. I was doing everything I could to try to raise money. And yeah, I was in shell shock. I think it took me a few days to even start really telling people in my life about it. Um, You You needed to take that time for yourself though. I wish I could even say I was taking time for myself. I mean, I can remember I laid everybody off first thing in the morning because I was like, I can't make it through a whole day. Yeah. I should at least let everybody just go home. Yeah. It's like first thing in the morning. And then I went straight home. I was living in Bed-Stuy with Rachel. And I don't even think I had told her yet. So I think I went home and I was like, well, it's over. I shut everything down and and then I got hammered <laughs> at like 10 a.m. Eh, rightfully so. Rightfully that, so. That, that was actually a good time and that was fun. But then yeah. the hangover lasted about a week. <laughs> uh, so that was very dark, man. It was dark because it, I mean, it was a full on identity crisis because I really had 
like I'd never, you know, I didn't know, I didn't have a clear identity. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a comedian. I wasn't, I didn't know what I was. So then I was a founder and, and I, you know, built a network of other founders and, and then when I had to shut it down, it was like, so if my company's a failure, what does that make me? And, you know, for somebody who had a very difficult time, like, you know, showing up to school with like a small pimple on my face, having to shut a company down was devastating. And yeah. I could not talk about it. Um, so yeah, that's how it was. So 2018, Revere closes down. Um, you go home, you get fucking wasted. Um, what inspired you to, you know what, instead of going out and getting a job and like you said, being another piece of the machine, what inspires you to go down that road, that road again, uh, with your company, uh, right play draw, um, which I want you to let them know everything about the company. Um, what inspires you to say, you know what, I failed at this one thing, which I think is the wrong word, to be honest. Um, I tried this one thing. It didn't work out. Now I'm going to go down this road and it's a very, very liberating, creative space. Um, so if you want to tell them a little bit about right play draw, how you got into it, what made you want to inspire people to be more creative? Um, and that's what I really think right play draw is about. And it's inspiring people to take a little time out of their day to be creative. So, uh, please let them know, um, how yeah. you went from sports nutrition to uh, basically, you know, uh, writing, playing and drawing. Sure. So, I mean, I kind of, um, well, first of all, writeplaydraw.com is what Dan's yeah. talking about. Plug it, baby. Feel free to sign up for uh, the, the future product, which is coming soon. But um, I kind of backed into it actually is what happened, which I think is really should be the only way to do it. So, you know, I shut down Revere. I was... Um, devastated Rachel and I broke up like weeks after that and I'm not gonna say it was Revere's fault but you know I'd been in a dark place for a while right and uh, I probably wasn't my best self and she is an actress and she you know we were both having our own career sort of crises um so anyway point is I shut my company down I broke up with my girlfriend we'd been living together I moved out of my place um, that I was planning on trying to buy. And so in the period, the course of like a few weeks, everything came crashing down. And I remember thinking, I genuinely don't think I can work right now. Like I'm just too, um, depressed. Yeah. I was depressed, dude. Like I was, I was sad. I was really sad. It, everything felt very dark. And I can specifically remember I had this sort of vision for um, what my life was going to be. And it was with Rachel and I was, you know, a successful founder and I was respected and I made all this money and blah, blah. And then all of that just went away. Um, Pretty much overnight, right? Overnight. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and my identity too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was crushed by it, obviously. And, I, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was probably two, three weeks after that. I decided I'm going to just 
try to do some stuff that are that is not about work because maybe just you know putting your entire uh identity in your work is not healthy no it's tough um, it's tough yeah yeah it's fucking um, tough <laughs> it's hard yeah. yeah so anyway i i've always loved to write i've you know i've loved to read my whole life and i took like, a, I think one writing class in college. And then I became very good at writing emails in the professional world. Um, but I always wished that I had done some creative writing. So I took a creative writing class and uh, I started writing essays. I wrote one about um, what it was like to shut down Revere. I read that one, you sent it to me. Yeah, it was called yep. When Startup Fails. And I tweeted it to my like hundred followers and it, it kind of you know made some waves in startup world, which was weird because I, had announced myself as a failure. Uh, what's up, Silvio? That's Silvio's um, butt. And there he is. And I remember like 50,000 people read it in a week. Yeah. And people were just reaching out to me. And it was really cool because I became famous for being a failure. Well, right, right. Famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's, and everybody, it's crazy. it was crazy to see how many people could relate to that story, though. Right. And it, and people were relating to um, the, me feeling like a failure. And I was like, huh, that was weird. I showed, you know, vulnerability and weakness and people want to talk to me now. Um, so anyway, that happened. And then I wrote another essay about my dad um, and, you know, his illness. And uh Give, give me give me a little more about Roger though, because this guy is the quietest man I've ever met, but the most gentle person when you get him talking. Um, Roger had multiple children in his house at all times. Uh, we drank so many of that man's Gatorades; it's unbelievable. Um, um, if you want to just, uh, I know that your father he had cancer. Um, and, and, he's good now. and he's good now. Um, what year was that? Was that around the 14? I think 2000. It was, it was before Revere. It yeah. was before, it was before Revere. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, as, as kids, like you said, we grew up in this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you get back into it, wow. but, um, you know, um, we kind of grew up sheltered in a way, you know, not a lot of bad things happened, uh, to people close to us you know what i mean we've been lucky that a lot of people around us you know have been able to st stay alive i'm just gonna say it like that yeah. you know so when you hear that about your dad obviously um did that change the way that you kind of looked at what you wanted to do with the rest of your life at all or was it more of just like I i'm more just worried about my dad surviving this this horrible disease it definitely changed the way I looked at life because it was the first time. I mean, so my dad is a uh, psychotherapist and like for a living, he talks to people with mental health issues and mm -hmm. helps them through them. And so he is like just the picture of calm and cool and collected. That is. And I mean, you could literally go to him with like just the worst crisis ever. And he's so calm, helps you get through it. And so I had never, I genuinely, I mean, people say like, I never saw my dad cry. My dad's so tough. Like my dad's not a typical tough guy, but he ain't crying though. But he, I mean, he just is always so calm, like never lost his cool ever. 
And so, um, yeah, when he got sick, it was just very, it was hard to see him scared. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, I, I actually thought that my dad, um, wouldn't be scared of death. I remember thinking like, my dad is, he can handle anything. He's just going to, you know, cruise into death one day and it's not right. going to be scared. And then he, you know, was diagnosed with cancer at 60 years old. And I remember him telling me, I'm, I'm terrified. I don't want to die. And I was genuinely surprised. Yeah. I was like, really? You're scared? So that I, was really weird. I even think for you, like, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but like, I remember you came to my apartment in Hastings and we were all watching like the Rangers playoff hockey game or something. Yeah. And I know exactly the day you're talking about. And I was just like, dude, I was like, you know, nobody really said anything, but I'm, I, you know me. So I was just like, dude, what's up with your pops, man? And, and you know, I was like, how's he doing? And I could see that you were holding, like you wanted to just let it go, like let it out, like, that you were afraid. Yeah. And I remember I just like put my hand on your shoulder a little bit. I was like, dude, it's all good, man. I was like, it's all good. Like you could, I, did you I could cry? let you, yeah, dude. I cried, didn't I? Yeah. Real yeah. bad. And yeah. I was like, I was like, dude, just let, I could feel you honestly like tense. Yeah. You were just like, I can't. And I think for you, that was like a coming out moment for you and I to be like, yo, dude, like, it's all right. Like, no one's going to judge you. Like, that statue of Jasper is not going to be affected by this. That's like insane that I was with my best, oldest friends in the entire world. And my dad had just been diagnosed with stage three cancer. And I still felt like I can't cry. Yeah. I remember like you didn't want to. And I was like, yo, just do that shit, man. I cried with you. Yeah. You know, and I think me, like you said to me, I've seen you change really since that day, you've been a very different person. And I think that not that you, that your dad had to get sick to go through something like this, but I really do think that it changed the way that you viewed yourself and also viewed the world as something like you know like you said your father 60 year old very accomplished in his profession very good at his job um raised a great family all smart kids uh and then you see like wow my dad doesn't want to do this and then one day he's like i don't want to die yeah so for you going on later in that and i want to get into your mom a little bit did does any, is there any correlation between your father getting sick and you kind of going like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want for my life? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, well, actually, specifically, one thing that happened is that my mom, when my dad got sick, my mom, um, of course, people were bombarding her with messages of, um, yeah. get well soon, basically, but also like asking for how he was doing. And so she decided to start an online journal, which mm -hmm. you commented on, I remember. Um, so she started an online journal, basically. And so then all of, like, you know, she was talking to her, her family and her close friends, but for everybody else, she was like, follow this journal and we'll keep you posted on what's going yeah, on. Yeah, which is genius, to be honest. Yeah, it's caringbridge.org. Great, yes. great site. Um, Ge genius. Yeah, and, and she asked me to, to run it. 
So you're edit. So now you're already editing stuff, kind of. You know, you're reviewing. It's like that, that is honestly the first time since college that I really was writing. Yeah, because I would go. So my dad was getting chemo two out of every three Thursdays. So go Thursday, Thursday, and then a week off. Thursday, okay. Thursday, week off. And he was doing it at Memorial Sloan Kettering in uh, on the Upper East Side by you. Mm -hmm. And I was the only one with a flexible schedule because I was working in startups and my brother and sister, they were both in medical school at the time and my mom was still working. And so I would go and hang out with him all the entire, for eight hours while he was getting chemo. Um, And so, I mean, man, shit got real. (laughs) Oh yeah. I can't even imagine dude. Like, I mean, I thought I knew my dad but he really opened up to me in those times. And, um, and then I would try to write about it in a way that was not revealing too much, but was trying to sort of articulate like the essence of, of it to, right. and, and I would just, was, people were like, this is amazing. I love reading this. And it kind of became a thing. Oh, I read it every day. Every yeah, I was like writing it and like waiting for the comments. To come. <laughs> a part of you becomes like, all right, I, I actually think I killed that one. Like this one, yeah, no, yeah. and like uh, my dad was proofreading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, he's like, I don't know about that. I don't think I really was doing that. Yes. Um, so it, it it became a writing project, honestly. So that's um, that's like um, that's pretty much where your creative writing for honestly, viewers kind of started. And I don't think I realized it till this second, but that is genuinely where it started because that's the first time people started really praising me for my writing. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think when I was like, man, I, I, that's probably when I started thinking if I had studied writing and, you know, focused on right. earlier on, I could be blah, blah, blah. But, but then even after that, I went on and started Revere. So I, I just like put it away for years. So just to close the, that chapter, like my dad, yeah recovered he made an amazing recovery and he's and he's he went skiing today I got him today on the mountain um but okay so should i i mean should i go yeah, back yeah no, no no no. just get go right in the right play draw you know what i mean now that you know like it started with like you know when your father was sick you were I feel writing like we've been for three hours so we've been talking for three hours don't worry I'm about it man time. i'm having don't... a great time it doesn't matter dude this is it's right. my show my show dog we can talk all, all right. day all night if we want okay. so, so you really so... you really start creative writing while your father is sick right uh, and then to to connect it back to where i was the first essay i wrote was about the failure of revere yep and then i was like well that was cool showing vulnerability so then i wrote an essay about my dad getting sick but when i was writing back then when he was sick, I was, I was, it wasn't that reflective. I was writing like stories from the chemo ward, what right. I was seeing and I, you know, funny things my dad had said, and I was kind of reflecting on my, my family in uh, this essay that I wrote. I was like, what did that do to me though? To really, for the first time, kind of see my dad, um, you know, his mortality and then he's human. And again, people responded really well and were yep. telling me this meant so much to me to read. And um, so then I was like, I kind of like this writing thing. And I took another class and I just- It was a fiction class, right? Yeah, so then I yeah, took- Yeah, you, you sent me that, I read that. Yeah, so I took a fiction class and man, I just fell in love with it. Like I couldn't stop writing. Um, now as a reader, you were mostly a non-fiction reader? No. Or, or you were mostly a fiction reader? 
I'd say 70% fiction probably, but I read both. Okay. Yeah. So here, here's actually exactly what happened though. Yeah. I was writing, so I was writing nonfiction. I was writing essays. I wrote about my dad getting sick. I wrote about the startup. I wrote an essay, which you definitely read about mm -hmm. witnessing a like horrific scooter crash in Bali and seeing a man die in front of me. Yep. Um, and I wrote about uh, cursing out Donald Trump Jr. in the Hamptons. Yep. And then um, so I wrote all a bunch of essays and then I went to a writing program in Iowa for a week. And uh, the teacher was like, well, you've said all you have to say because your life hasn't been that interesting. You've written your four essays, you got nothing left. So you got to start writing fiction now. <laughs> and like, I mean, oh. she was like messing with me. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But, but it was a good point. She's like- But also at the same time, she's keeping it real. Yeah, no, she's keeping it real. She's like, cancer, shut down your company. You cursed out the president's son. Like you saw someone die. What else have you done, white boy? And I was like, <laughs> I, I really got nothing. Um, <laughs> So then I started writing fiction and, uh, and that, that's actually when I really became obsessed with writing, obsessed. And so I started to kind of build my life around it. So I was doing consulting for startups to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. I, I was working with a few companies for, I was an hourly worker basically. Um, but I was spending three, four hours a day just writing. And I was like, writing short stories and I was writing essays and I got something published and I was thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to, um, it's beautiful. I want to be a writer. And then I got writer's block, which I've always heard of and I knew it was a thing, but then I realized it's really a thing. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So then I, I kind of like, I was like, huh, okay, well, that was fun while it lasted, but now what do I do? Um, so then I came, I'm gonna come to write, play, draw now. So basically I, at a certain point, probably seven, eight months after I shut down Revere, realized I'm happier than I've ever been maybe. And why is that? It's the writing. Like it was very clearly the writing that I was doing that made me feel so fulfilled. And I wasn't making much money and uh, I wasn't like building a career at that point. I mean, I was paying the bills, but, um, and I realized it was the creative expression that was making me happy. And so I started to think this is a thing. Like, I mean, you said oh, this, yeah. like everybody has some sort of creative creativity inside them. And I think, it's it's beaten out of a lot of us. Yes, right? like you I were agree. very fortunate. It was never beaten out of you. It it I think you know there's a parallel universe where it is beaten out of you when yeah. you go into advertising or something. Um, I'd but, be terrible at that. <laughs> um, so well, basically, what I realized is, you know, I have always you know I've always loved telling stories, and I've always love to make people laugh and and um and i've always thought i was like a pretty good writer but i never made like a real earnest attempt at writing writing and then i went into the startup world and i became um obsessed with this idea of being a successful startup founder and there's no place 
in that world, or at least in my mind for like having a real creative hobby. Right. Um, and then finally, when I, I shut my company down and I like, didn't even know who I was anymore. I remembered this like itch that I had, which is like, I like to write and I started doing it. And then I think that what really it helped me do was realize my worth is, and this is so cliche, but it, I genuinely had this realization, like my self-worth is not connected to my like career trajectory. Say that again for the people at home so they could hear that. My self-worth was not connected to my career or my career trajectory. That's what um, a lot of people get lost in, especially yeah. now where everyone's a content creator, uh, entrepreneur, you know, this becomes their lives. You have to be able to separate those things. Yeah. But, um, so with Right Play Draw, though, what made you want to be like, you know what, I want to share this with other people. What's the so, mission? What, what was the mission for you? So I remember I started to tell people, I think I finally got comfortable with like the narrative that I had had to shut my company down. Um, but I was like, I got really excited by this. I, I mean, it was a, it was like a realization. I found myself through creative writing. I love, I love this. I, I woke up. I mean, I bought a, a desk. I, uh, like I, I only use it for writing. I don't do anything other than writing there. And I took all sorts of classes and I was just writing for hours and hours a day. Um, and so I realized this is the, I think the best thing I've ever done for my mental health. Yeah. What was, it, it's kind of twofold. First, it, it was, you think, do you think it, it rewired your brain a little bit? It rewired my brain in two main ways. One is that I realized just pure imaginative creative expression was so healthy for me. It was so healthy to be able to just like, I mean, it, I, I, not to sound like overly romantic, but it's like, that's my canvas, right? Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, no, that's know, cool. The colors all over it and write mm -hmm. anything and really express myself. And I was sharing my writing with people and they were like, I can hear your voice in here. And it's so, you know, like I, I, I like I can see this as you, but I never saw the side of you before. Um, Neither did the you. Other thing, what's that? I said, neither did you. Yeah, no, I didn't either. And, and the other part of it was realizing I actually don't need what I thought I needed before. Like, I don't need to be, um, you know, on the cover of Forbes magazine or whatever. And so those two things. <laughs> Just holding uh, a fucking water bottle. So those two things together were like the, the, the biggest sort of life-changing revelations I've had. And then, um, so right play draw, basically what happened is I started telling people the story. And every time I told the story, somebody would go, you know, like, I've always wanted to pick up the guitar, mm -hmm. but I just, I'm, you know, I work too much and I don't know how it's going to help me in my career. I, you know, I should be reading business books and I'd be like, but maybe you should just pick up the guitar like that. That'd probably be much better for you than reading a business book. Yeah. And they'd be like, yeah, no, you're, you're clear. That's very clearly right. <laughs> it would be much better for me to play the guitar than read another business book. And then somebody else would be like, well, I used to paint. I love to paint growing up. And then, you know, now I work in advertising or something and like, I'm creative, but I don't get to. Artistic freedom. 
Exactly. And I wish I could just pick, you know, put a canvas up and paint again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I started having these conversations and realizing a lot of people have some sort of a creative itch and they're not scratching it. And so the, I, I basically identified like three specific things that are preventing people from doing it. The first one is being intimidated, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to write if I'm not going to be able to write an actual book that people are going to love. What if what, what if what I write is bad? Yeah. People don't like it. What if I can't finish something? And that's a legitimate concern. I mean, you know, yeah. this, this uh, society puts a lot of pressure on, you know. Um, Everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. I think the second thing is... Um, I don't know what to say, right? Like how many people buy a notebook and then it, they never actually write anything in it. The hardest, the hardest part is getting started. It really is. Yeah. So they got nothing to say. And, um, and then the third thing is they want some sort of validation for it. They want to know someone's going to read it or look right. at it. Um, or I can, you know, share this experience with somebody else in some way. And so those were the three things I figured out that were stopping me from writing. And I figured out there's three ways to overcome it. The first one about being intimidated is, what if we just lower the stakes? This is not about writing a masterpiece. It's not about recording the next Grammy winning song. It's just spend 15 minutes writing. That's it. And the the finished product doesn't matter. It's about spending the 15 minutes doing it. The second thing is we'll give you a very specific creative spark a prompt a prompt a prompt like an image a uh like um a few words whatever something that will just very specifically and again we give you 15 minutes and a word or an image or something like you're going to just start writing or drawing or you know making music or whatever it is you do and third thing is a community around it so uh you know if you want you can share what you do with other people you can do it anonymous anonymously you can do it under your name you can do it with just your friends, whatever. And so I, I built this community called rightplaydraw.com. I, I was not thinking of it as a business at all. You were I, just gathering creatives. I, it started with people from my writing class. Yeah. And somebody was like, dude, this is pretty cool. We should like uh, invite other people. And then I, I was like, all right, send it to your friends. And then suddenly like 50 people were signed up, 100 people were signed up. So I was like, I'll build a landing page. So I made a landing page. Um, a lot of people signed up. And I was emailing out prompts and people were sending me the most amazing writing, paintings, drawings. People were dancing, singing, playing the guitar. And like, it ranged from- Beautiful. It ranged from uh, like successful fiction writers who were like, this is helping me, uh, you know, fill in the middle chapters of my book. I need more stuff. And you're giving me these prompts and writing to like, people who were, you know, picking up a, a pen and drawing for the first time ever. Right. And I, I really just fell in love with the idea that I, here, here's basically what I decided or, or what I realized is I think, you know, I'm a big believer in therapy, I'm a mm-hmm. big believer in exercise and, um, and all the different, meditation. And I think there's a lot of ways that, you know, we can take care of our minds. And I think that creativity is a really important 
frontier of of mental wellness for sure i mean even like uh like you said 15 minute prompts uh i was reading a study the other day in new york times uh that was showing that 15 to 30 minutes of creative writing and uh creative activity actually like physically combats things like dementia yeah so then which, I, which is wild there is science attached to this and i hadn't even like yeah so then i started reading about it and i'm like yeah oh, yeah but wow, like people have been talking about this as a a you know real science behind it for um, sure so i just became obsessed with this idea that and i think what's cool about it is that you know, it's very sort of non-judgmental because, you know, we have friends that are like true creatives, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, don't have traditional jobs in any way, shape or form. And then we have friends who work like pretty corporate jobs, but all of our friends have some sort of creative part of them. Oh, yeah. And I think that I've really just locked into this idea that that's that is really a big part of what makes us human and what makes and if we can just channel that every day in a meaningful way so just to even like bring this back to my life right now i have i had pretty bad writer's block for like the last six months of 2020 it was a weird year i don't know if you heard about what happened uh, yeah some ups and some downs most yeah. downs though so i had pretty bad writer's block and then um one of my and I was, you know, working a lot on write, play, draw. But one of my big um, resolutions for this year was I want to write again. I want to start writing. And I literally, every single day, I write for 15 minutes. And I haven't started any stories. And I haven't written anything that I, I don't think I've written one thing I've shared. And I'm totally cool with it. Because I'm like putting in reps at the gym, honestly. Right. That's how it feels. And I'm staying in shape. And I know, uh, and I feel good about it. And it sends me into my day feeling intellectually charged. And I know at some point I'm going to take something I'm writing and turn into a story or an essay or, or, you know, whatever else. So it's just, it's become like part of a regimen for me, basically. But do you see like, now you have the balance though, that, that life is all about balance. So listen, you have this, um, you know, we spoke about it, this um, lack of better word, like this, this ego, right. Of, uh, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to be the best, right. Yeah. Um, but then also it's like, now you have a drive to do the repetitions because yeah. you want to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. But yeah. you, you know, so that's a good thing to hold on to. But yeah. now how you said with right play draw, it's the judgment free zone. It's just about the creativity. Yeah. So, so it's a balance of both, which is awesome to have. There's nothing wrong with being confident in yourself and wanting to be the best at something. It's just like you said, when it bleeds over into other aspects of life, now it's just, this is your personality now. Yeah. I mean, I love the way you put that because I, I think that, you know, I've always been ambitious and For sure. I think there's sort of a traditional definition of being ambitious, which is directly connected to your career mm -hmm. and how much money you make and your title and things like that. And I've discovered there's this, other ambition, which is like the ambition to really be happy and to live a fulfilled life. And, um, and that is, and look, I'm not going to like sit here and tell you, I don't care about making money anymore. Yeah, no money's I, great. Yeah, no, I want to like, you know, yeah. um, but 
there is no happiness if I'm, if I'm not expressing myself creatively, like as, as a regular part of my life. And, and that's something that's relatively new to you, you would say? Very. I mean, two years old. That's what yeah. I'm saying. And we're, dude, as old as we are, we're young. That's true. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't realize, I didn't discover this until, I mean, I'm 33 now. I, I discovered this two years ago. So yeah, no, that's true. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where as listen, I've been, we're basically working like for myself since like what, 2013, 2014, you know, you start singing titties about the internet. You're not going to get any calls back. This is how the world works. Right. So I've had to, you know, really trust in myself to be creative for the rest of my life. And like, you know, I started this podcast here, I started one with my brother and, you know, the receptions have been great. I think it's the moment that you truly believe that you can do it, though. As corny as it sounds, everybody around you can believe how talented you are. Everybody can believe how creative you are. But like you said, once you start putting in the reps and actually just being like, you know what? I believe that I can do this and I, I believe that I am creative. That's when things like writer's block will go away. That's yeah. when you, that's when things like setting yourself with uh, expectations that just aren't realistic in the time frame that you want them to be. That's the stress from that starts to go away. Yeah. Creativity will give you stress and relieve stress. It's all about how you package it. A lot of people, whether it's music, you know, whether it's movies, whether it's studying art, a lot of these things who were stressful for creators are stress relievers for people that are taking it. So the things that you're putting in to write, play, draw, as stressful as it could be for you to be like, oh, I got to get the landing page. What are the prompts yeah. going to be? Putting it out there is alleviating stress and, and emotional distress from people because they're focusing on something else. That's how important creativity is to the world. Yeah, That's what people don't understand, that being creative saves people's lives. Yeah. From the and beginning, the, it's been like that. Yeah. And not for nothing, but I've also, I mean, like there was this weird moment where right play draw started blowing up and I was like, this is my next business. And uh, I called myself and I was like, what are we really doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? And I mean, like investors were reaching out to me and they still do. And I was like, I decided I, I, I'm not going to, I mean, look, like if it turns into I'll give you $10 million right now, be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm not, not going to say that I'm, you know, I refuse to make money from it, obviously. Right. But what I decided is I'm not tying, I'm not tethering my livelihood to this thing. You want to keep it about the art. Yeah, that'd be a very easy way to, to fuck it up. Yeah. To fuck up my life again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one other thing I just want to say is like, yeah, I think another thing I've, I've really realized is um, you don't like your creative self or, you know, who you really are, that should be part of your work persona, so to speak. So like, you know, sure. you're, but, but like, you know, you're, you're an internet personality. So like uh -huh. by nature, your personality is your work, but I'm saying for other people who, um, 
but you know, I've worked with all sorts of people and you kind of see some people and you're like, this guy is probably a character at home. Right. Like, you know, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing a, a small, very small percentage of this person. And I, and I'm not saying, you know, you should come into work and just be whatever fucking weirdo you are. Yeah, just whip your dick out at work. Don't do that. I'm definitely not making that recommendation. (laughs) But I'm saying uh, there should not be a line between your creative, real, authentic self and, you know, your professional persona, right? Like, I don't don't know that there's ever been someone who has been, like, genuinely successful in their profession that was leaving their whole real personality outside of it, right? Like, you have to... You have to merge those things. You have to. Um, so as we get ready to wrap up here, um, in just in terms of do you have any aspirations for Right Play Draw? Also, um, where can they find your um, your essay on your startup that you wrote? Uh, I'll attach the links in here. So if you don't have it now, you could send it to me and I'll put it in the link. Yeah. But yeah. um quickly look up a link <laughs> yeah yeah right a little link for it but if you have uh, I, a link for it i'll post it no yeah my my writing is medium.com slash at jasper nathaniel That's okay be and we'll throw that link in there um i wanted to end today's show with um everybody loves a good dog story right well, let me, let me just answer your question about right play draw though yes yes, yes 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 yeah. i would know let them know where to go how to sign up all that shit okay it's rightplaydraw.com, like W-R-I-T-E, playdraw.com. Yeah. And that that is actually not the name of the actual company that I'm starting. That's still kind of a landing page. But no, the, the dream is that um, I help not just professional creatives like yourself, mm-hmm. but I help everybody, you know, people who even have had to, you know, pour their life into some job they hate uh, or they feel like they've sold out or whatever help them just scratch that creative itch and ultimately help them feel more fulfilled. And who knows, in some cases, maybe help them completely change their life and, you know, move towards something they do care more about, but at the very least help them just get a little bit of, you know, creative fulfillment and, and ultimately, um, you know, feel a little bit better about themselves. So that, Artistic that's cool. liberation, Jasper. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love so it. So you want to hear about the, about Dorothy now. Yes. So we got, we got, what is it? Um, it, it was love at first sight, correct? I mean, by definition, that's what it was. Look at this girl. Come on. Dorothy. Oh, I got one too. Yeah. I mean, it's just the best. So, Dorothy, uh, so um, this is, I guess, this is becoming a theme, but uh, I broke up with Marie in March right after like right before the pandemic started and so then the pandemic started and the quarantine began and i was like oh now i'm very alone and then literally dorothy wandered up to me at domino park in brooklyn she was with her foster mom i was like can i take this dog off your hands she was like oh she's actually up for adoption i was like just give me the paperwork i'll apply right now and three days later i had her and i had nothing planning on adopting a dog and yeah, I mean, she's honestly is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Come on, look at this girl. Look, you see these legs? She's faded. She's faded. Yeah. There you go. It's your friend over there. But um, kind of looks like a timer in her. Yeah, he's, he's a, a he's a silver lab. Silver yeah, but uh, I'm sure they did some crossbreeding back. They're from the '50s, so I'm sure they crossbred them with that to get that color for sure. 
Um, so love at first sight with Dorothy. Uh, how has she affected your mental health in the last, how long have you had her now? Got her in March. So got her in March. Almost like 11 months. 11 months. You got having a party? You got to have a party. Have I had a party? Are you going to have a birthday party? Oh, a birthday party. Well, her, her birthday was in November. So you know her actual birth, uh, her actual birthday. No, I have an estimate. Uh, yeah, we'll have a party, I guess. For gotta have, gotta have a party. So the effect of my mental health. I mean, what does it look like? Look at this. I'm single, and um, honestly, man, I do not know. I, I can't even quantify how much joy she's brought me. They're and, the best. And just, They're the best. And like, I will have you know. I'll be having a stressful day. And I'll be like, I'm going to leave my phone across the room and just go to Dorothy and just cuddle on the couch for like 15 minutes. And my heart rate goes down and all the problems just sort of melt away. And it's just, man, it's just a game changer. They truly are man's best friends. Yeah. They truly are. Um, they got to meet. They got to meet. They got to hang out. Yeah, man. Um, but, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. It I mean, was really like. Even just to catch up for like 90 minutes or something. I know. It was great. It was great. Um, but uh, where can they find you? Uh, social media. Obviously, uh, you said medium.com. Uh, social media. Uh, Infinite Jazz. I guess I'll, put, I'll put a link in it. Yeah. Infinite Jazz is my Instagram. I don't have good consistent social medias. Twitter is the words of underscore jdn yeah 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 um my website's right play draw everything's different my website everything's right different play, draw uh my writing is medium.com slash jasper nathaniel just you'll share all the links i'll I mean, share i'll share all the links for you baby i got you covered I, it's what no, i do I for a living and and i uh i don't promote enough of myself now because i've probably if you're too far to the other side where i'm like I don't care. I'm doing it for fun. And you're like, no, I'm begging you to promote your new website. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. You know, I think, cause I think it's just a great idea and I want people to get there and I want people Thank to you. see it. Yeah. But um, listen, man, uh, it was a great time. Uh, say hello to the folks for me. I will. And uh, I'll obviously text you right after we hang up anyway. Yeah. So, all right. All right bud. Love, Love you, man. Bye-bye.